0: Thank you to everyone who supports this show and all the shows that we do at the Major Spoilers Podcast Network. If you are not already, you can become a Major Spoilers member by signing up at patreon.com slash major spoilers. The Major Spoilers Podcast covers news, reviews, and of course spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later.
1: I am Matthew. I'm Ashley. I'm Rodrigo.
0: And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans.
2: In this issue, we head to the wrong side of the tracks and check out the world of the dead-end kids. We got ghosts urban wizards ancient evils and the movie biz so you can decide which is the most frightening the nerds you trust are here on the show you love to talk about the stuff we're all into so step up to the plate choke up on the bat and other sports metaphor because the major spoilers podcast is about to shoot some home run baskets and it's on the air
0: welcome to issue 878 of the major spoilers podcast thank you for downloading and checking us out this week Oh, so good to have everybody back after a holiday weekend. If you want to hear about our holiday weekends and all the movies that we may have seen or not seen, you need to check out the pre-show, which you can only get when you become a silver member or higher at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Let's get to some news. I don't I'm know sorry, what the news, news was broken. I don't know what news we have this week. I mean we could We could talk about the new Labyrinth movie that's in the works, Why the Last Man is finally coming in 2021, or maybe we can talk about 80th anniversaries of the DC's comics. Let's spin that Wheel of Destiny, and let's see where we land. Round and round and round it goes. and Where it stops, only Doctor Strange knows. (gasps) Scott Derrickson, who uh, was was attached to Doctor Strange 2 for a while, Now he's not anymore because of, Mm -hmm. you know, creative differences, Ashley. He's now uh, landed on his feet. Oh, that
1: seems to be what happens when you're a person with a strong creative voice at Marvel, unless you're Taika (laughs) Waititi.
0: He has landed on his feet doing another Disney-related film, Jim Henson's Labyrinth. The, what is it, a sequel? It is a sequel to that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Labyrinth 2. What do we know about this, Rodrigo?
3: What do we know about it? Um, they've announced it. Uh, Scott Derrickson is directing it. Maggie Levin is set to write it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all I know. What else do we know about it?
0: I don't think we know anything else. I mean, he tweeted yeah. it out today saying, hey, everybody, check this out. And uh, we don't know if this is going to be a big movie release or if this is going to be a Hulu release or where this is going to land, if it's going to be on Disney+. Plus. But uh, first question: Who has seen the labyrinth? Matthew, you've seen the labyrinth.
2: Yeah, I actually saw it again just recently. We watched it with the kid.
0: Okay. What about you, Rodrigo? Yeah, I've seen it. Okay. And Ashley?
1: I've not.
0: Oh, Ashley, this is one I thought would be right up your alley. Uh, it's got uh, it's got all the Jim Henson Muppets in it.
1: Is Kermit in it?
0: No, but there are some uh, other cool uh, Muppetty type characters. It, it,
2: there's a voice that sounds
3: like Kermit in it. Yeah, eggs. I was well, going to say it, that's if,
1: just Jim Henson's voice, to be yeah, fair. It, any
3: that, that, and that's those. like, oh, who's in this movie? Uh well, Kylo Ren and James Bond are in it. If right. if that's if that's how you think of movies, then yeah. <laughs> in fact, I'm pretty sure Yoda's in this too. <laughs> hmm Yoda's did, in this. Yoda,
1: didn't Yoda just have a birthday? He did. A couple days.
2: Yoda's in, in it. Ziggy Stardust is in it. Uh, but the Rocketeer's Betty, girlfriend Betty is, Betty in is in it. it yeah. Yeah.
0: In the original. Now, this is the sequel, which will be interesting, because how did that uh, end the original, Rodrigo? Didn't it all end with her kind of, quote-unquote, growing up and not needing to be believing in the make-believe stuffs, but all the make-believe stuffs were like, if you need us, we'll be here. Yep.
1: Yeah. Don't like, call not... her a babe a whole bunch in that and pretend it's not problematic? <laughs> Uh, no, the babe
2: was actually her little brother that she was going through the labyrinth to try and oh. save. All yeah, right, actual... I will
1: I will stop talking about a movie I've never seen. I apologize. <laughs> it's it's okay, drifting. you're good. <laughs> um,
3: I, I honestly, ha- even having seen it a couple of times, I'm not really sure how Labyrinth ends because, yeah, it kind of seems like an end to childish things. And then there's a big dance number with Muppets at the end. Yeah. Right. So so it's like, well, did she? Uh, so, so, So I don't know. I think the door is open to that sort of thing. I mean, if they made a sequel to Jumanji, why can't they? You know, you can you can bring this sort of thing back.
0: Technically, two sequels to Jumanji.
3: Uh, yeah, Yeah. which are both actually pretty good.
0: I have yet to watch either one.
3: Growing up,
2: but not rejecting all of her imaginary friends. So basically, yeah, it's a moment where she's like, "I'm going to be a grown up now," but yes, all of her you know imaginary puppety friends. Are still there, and then, yeah, it does end with a big dance movie for some reason. and then of course, David Bowie turns into an owl and flies off into the night.
0: What's Ka-ka-ka-ka-ka. interesting is even though this is a, even though this is a is a sequel, there actually are a bunch of other labyrinth stuffs going on. Boom Studios has been doing some labyrinth comic books in the past. They did uh, labyrinth coronation which uh, it says the the solicitation for that series, which re- we have reviewed at major spoilers in the past, before Sarah braved the labyrinth to save her brother, another young woman sought to save a young boy named Jareth from the clutches of the Goblin King. The untold history of the Goblin King and the history of Jim Henson's labyrinth, uh, he wasn't always the Goblin King. Hmm, that would be right. interesting.
2: Yeah, he's the new Goblin King. Somebody had, uh, I wish I remembered who, because this person should be in the space program, tweeted the most wonderful thing for a labyrinth sequel that i really want to see oh yeah have jennifer connelly come back and play the goblin king
0: or she could play her all grown up with kids and having to go save her kids or her grandkids or something
2: you could do that but i mean i think it would be interesting because we've seen that the nature of the goblin king is that it's it's you know more of a thing than it is a person it's like a a, it's man- a title yeah, yeah. It would be interesting to have the Goblin King and not mention it, you know, necessarily at the beginning of the film. Have someone new get enwrapped in the Goblin King's life and have the Goblin King be played by the girl who got enwrapped in the Goblin King's life back in 86. I think it would be wonderful. Plus, Jennifer Connelly is maybe the only person who could wear that David Bowie wig and still look awesome.
0: (laughs) It is interesting that we are getting, and actually you can probably comment on this, it is interesting that we are getting sequels to properties that are you know, 40 years old at this point in some cases. Uh, and that seems is to that be... Is that interesting? Well, I mean, we talked about it before. Uh, Ashley just dropped off. We'll get her back in in a minute. Uh, we've talked about it before that as we start to build on this nostalgia engine where, you know, people who have some disposable incomes tend to want to spend it on things that they are uh, familiar Already with. Already
3: familiar with?
0: Yeah. So I, so I wonder, Ashley, is it, is it mm. really that, that surprising that that we have these up based on the nostalgia cycle?
1: Is it surprising? Uh, no, I was more surprised by your use of the word interesting. I would have said predictable, <laughs> personally. Um, however- See, it's called a this...
0: softball question, Ashley.
1: Right. Oh, is that is that the- is that Yeah, the sure. Let's call it answer? that. <laughs> uh, with, uh, with all the cynicism in my voice aside, um, I actually do, of all the sequel boots that exist- this is the one that, uh, being completely unfamiliar with the original source material, I'm actually a little bit enthused for, and I think might be really cool because uh, I hadn't seen Dark Crystal until last year. I saw that one. Uh, and I think the Dark Crystal television show, which to be fair is a prequel, not a sequel. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really wonderful and I think it really does add a lot to the mythology in that world and it really shows how (sighs)
0: content all right everybody back sorry about that our looks looks like I will be buying a new a new uh, thingy tomorrow oh anything yeah you know one of those internet things that uh, router yeah, one of those third time we have to re- reboot this thing today, so not fun. All right, uh, let's see. Let us, uh, we were in the news. Uh, sorry, everybody. We uh, dropped, some, dropped some internets there and uh, had to do some rebooting things. Uh, so, hey, listen, if you want to share your thoughts on this, uh, on this news, this awesome news. Is it awesome news? I mean, Scott Derrickson uh, has a place to do it. Part. He's done some pretty horrific things, Matthew. Jennifer uh, Connelly. Yes, and Jennifer Connelly. But I mean, he's done some pretty scary movies. So, this labyrinth, which is kind of a, for its time, a little intense, especially for a Muppet movie, um, the, could be know, there kind are, of interesting. Oh,
3: there are enough instances of things that are coming together in this movie that are interesting, as well as some, you know, decent president and things like The Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. Uh, this could be good. Yeah.
0: All right. Listener, listeners, you right there, you can join this conversation. And talk about these stories and a whole lot, a whole lot more over at our Discord channel. You can join the Major Spoilers Discord server for free, or link your Patreon account to Discord and get access to even more features at Patreon.com/slash MajorSpoilers. Let us jump into some reviews. Reviews. Speaking of Jim Henson, this week I'm taking a look at Jim Henson's The Storyteller: Ghost Number Two. It was out last week from Boom Studios. Now Matthew and I reviewed Ghosts Number One on the Dueling mm-hmm. Review show about a month ago. Well, maybe a little bit more than a month ago because of the uh, comic book uh, shutdown. Yeah,
2: but back uh, in the Placestine era.
0: Yes, back in the long ago times. Uh, th- this issue is a very different one, and it is about a girl who is in love with a, another woman who basically passes her by for someone who's maybe a little bit more interesting, and the girl is very upset, so she uh, you know, does one of these love potion things, And it backfires on her, and she becomes a floating head with a heart attached. And she goes around and haunts people until she finally gets to her lover and realizes, oh, I was the person who was in the wrong the entire time, and I will go and haunt other people for all eternity, or something like that. Um, I did not like this one as much as I liked the first one that we did. And so I was somewhat disappointed in this version of, uh, or this installment of The Storyteller and i was also likewise very very disappointed in the interactions between the storyteller and his dog i thought that they were uh the connections to the main ghost story were thin at best uh so i really wasn't a big fan of what was going on overall in this big uh storyteller's issue if you are a fan of ghost stories and you can figure out what uh, ancient myth or ancient legend that this story is built upon you might enjoy it, but for me, it was okay. I thought it was an okay story. I thought it was an okay art. Uh, it just felt like a tepid ghost story. It didn't really have the scariness of the first issue that had that uh, screaming baby on your back that you have to carry around for all eternity. Uh, but this one was okay. I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it two and a half slices of meatloaf out of five. Uh, I kind of was hoping for something a little bit more than what I got, but I'm okay with what I got. So there you go. Jim Henson's The Storyteller's Ghost Number 2 out, this, uh, out last week from Boom Studios. Uh, let's see. What else do we have here? We have... Uh, Matthew, what do you got for us this week?
2: I got a comic book called Forgotten Home. And I believe it's a Comicsology original. Uh, at least that's what it seems to be. Uh, but here's the thing. I would not have read any Forgotten Home without accidentally bumping into it. And I bumped into it because, uh, as we mentioned, a lot of comics stopped uh, coming out. And so I was like, hey, what is coming out? And I picked up issue seven of Forgotten Home. And I really kind of liked it. Uh, Forgotten Home, written by Erica Schultz, uh, art by Marika Cresta, is the story of sort of um, an urban sorcery thing through several generations of family. So we have the main character, her mother and her grandmother. And her grandmother is the queen of this weird extra dimensional city thing. So there are a lot of familiar stuff, uh, bits and pieces in here, where she wakes up and she realizes, oh, oh my gosh, I'm actually the princess of this lost land. And somehow throughout the seven issues, war is brewing between her mother and her grandmother. Her grandmother is an evil emperor and her mother is trying to depose her grandmother, And this issue starts with some big, explodey, magical fighty fighty, which I wholly appreciate. And then comes to a point where it looks like everyone is dead. Oh, no. Right? And I love the point where it seems like everyone is dead, but you're only 10 pages into the comic book, so you know something else is going to happen. I feel like issue seven, which I picked up, and I think I gave three slices of meatloaf. Or, you know, whatever number I was using at the time, three out of five on whatever scale it was. I like this one a little bit more. It does have a couple of things that bother me. It has the Jeff Johns moment in it that always upsets me when you see it in a comic. You guys know the Jeff Johns moment, right? Someone is standing and saying dramatic things. Yes, I have a new vision for the world, one that will benefit everyone. And, oh,
3: and a a train falls on them
2: and they've been stabbed from behind secretly by off panel i hate that i feel like that is a terrible terrible thing and people should stop doing that but i will say that the way it's done here is pretty effective even as much as i hate it it's like oh yeah completely saw that coming but this is an effective use of it you know it's skillful and the way this issue ends does have a little bit of confusion for me because when you have a character whose mom is there that she calls mom and that character calls another character mom and you have the three characters there referring to each other and one is calling one mom and the other is calling a third one mom it can be a little confusing but all in all i really like this i liked it more than issue 7 and i feel like it's it serves as closure if you want closure it could also be that stepping stone to the next book of a trilogy if you wanted to do something like that there's definitely room for these characters to come back and have other things happen uh somebody does die but it's also a magical adventure thing so whether that death is actually a death is up in the air and of course the last panel implies that somebody else may or may not be something else and it's all pretty solid three and a half slices of meatloaf for forgotten home number eight of eight uh if they come back with this i'd definitely be interested in seeing more of it as it is i'm probably going to watch for these creators and see what else they're doing because i really do enjoy the art it feels how do i put this you know how sometimes it's not exactly a primitivism in the art style, but it's intentionally designed to look penciled like they've shot from pencils and give you that sort of kind of unfinished look to the story to make it look, you know, maybe like an old woodcut or something. They do that throughout this book. And whether it's intentional or not, it's pretty and I like it.
0: All right, cool. Thank you for that, uh, Matthew. Ashley, this week from Archie Comics, something that we don't uh, take a look at that often, is uh, one of their big collections, Betty and Veronica, Friends Forever, Danger Zone, but not to be confused with the other Danger Zone, because that would not definitely have uh, Betty or Veronica in it.
1: Well, I will say um, as somebody who is a part of the Action Lab family, I did find that a little hilarious. Um, And I was like, no editor? (laughs) Danger Zone! That
3: that comic would fly off the shelves. Uh, It
1: truly would. It absolutely would. Let's not pretend it wouldn't. Um, But uh, my dude, Alex Segura, come on.
0: (laughs) What are you waiting for, dude?
1: Uh, This is a great collection i also fully thought that this came out this week Comes out in July.
0: No, it, it comes so, out this week. It's in our, it's on, a, they just sent it today and said, here's what's coming out uh, this week. The
1: internet says it's coming out on July 15th. So, like, I have no idea, but I read it.
0: Yeah, no, they, <laughs> uh, Comixology has it listed for May 27th. Okay, and they also great. sent us the email today saying, hey, here are our comics coming out this week. So
1: I was baffled because, like, I pulled the solicit for our notes from the internet. It was like July 15th. And I was like, well, okay, it wouldn't be the first time I reviewed something six weeks out. But, um, Like a lot of people right now, I'm looking for stuff that is uh, easy and stuff that is uplifting. And I never grew out of my Archie Double Digest phase and Betty and Veronica are iconic. Um, I have lots of dresses with them on it. So I was like, danger zone. They are skydiving on the front. I'm totally here for it. Uh, Dan Parent crushing it on art, man. I'm going to pay a lot of money for a commission from this man someday because his art is beautiful. It's delightful. This collection gave me everything I wanted. And I love a Betty and Veronica story where it's them being friends instead of them fighting over Archie because I'm so tired of that. And this is a collection of events of them being cool, modern lady friends. And as the... Opening story and as the cover suggests, they're uh, getting up to some extreme things, which during this time when none of us are really supposed to be leaving our homes, you can live a little, um, what do you call that? I was going to say extravagantly, but that's not the word. Anyway, thank you so much through uh, the adventures of Betty and Veronica. But I found this delightful I find this to be perfect storytelling. It's exactly what it promises on. And every once in a while, you just want something that feels like a hug. And Dan Parent and the and writer Bill, sorry, sir, I really admire Golier, Golier. I'll go with that, Golier, s- sure. I'm sorry. Um, really just deliver laughs and jokes of of actual quality and of dad joke quality throughout this collection so if you are into Archie if you have people in your lives who are I cannot recommend checking this out enough it was such a good time it's a huge collection for uh, a very very reasonable price which is something that these Archie Digests really do very very well is you get a lot of bang for your buck Uh, I loved it I'll probably reread it in the bath about Betty Veronica continue to crush and be queens of the comic world I can't recommend it enough
0: all right, there you go. And uh, uh, let me put on my, my predictor's hat here or my uh, f- far into the future hat. Next volume of Jupiter Jet, Art by <laughs> Henry Parent
1: uh you know if your parent can uh let me know his contact info at any time <laughs> i would uh sorry ben <laughs> i would i'd drop everything for Dan parent no yeah. kidding
0: <laughs> all right rodrigo you're gonna wrap us up this week on the reviews with a look far into the future or at least two weeks
1: far
3: into the future of june, june 10th june, 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 june. um interestingly this uh there's something very futuristic about this comic, but also something that's kind of a callback to other things. Uh, Dryad number two is a story that features uh, fantasy creatures, like elves and stuff, uh, and also modern technology, and really probably, you know, futuristic technology, really, um, like sniper laser rifles and things like that um i i haven't read i didn't read the first one i jumped into this one because i like the cover and i was not expecting it to to be like that and i i i wonder if it's if that was kind of one of the big reveals of the story is that there's all this modern technology uh around um but um our protagonists who are a bunch of kids Um, have unlocked a vault and released a bunch of demons. And as the story goes on, you find out that not only are they not demons, uh, they also have a connection to the kids' parents. Um, So there's that. Uh, This, uh, the art is very good. Uh, the, The demons have a really cool look to them. I really like it. Um, there is, a straight up a sex scene in this, so, you know, uh, I'm clutching uh, my pearls. Yeah, not, not everybody, not everybody slaps on a danger zone, uh, on, on things. So, um, if you, uh, yeah, it is, if that's something that bothers you, or if that's something that you don't, you want to keep away from your kids, then know that ahead of time. Um. It's very short, though, and not very explicit. So, but it's very clear that that's what's happening. Um, I enjoyed it. I need to go back and find the previous one. I think it's above average work. Uh, it looks really good, and it's got some aspects to it that kind of make it stand out from, I, I would say, the, the wave of fantasy comics that we've been getting recently. Um, it, it's kind of doing its own thing and I like that. So I'm going to give it three slices of meatloaf, um, and, uh, urge you to check it out. If uh, any of the things I said, sound good to you.
0: All right. There you go. Uh, listeners, if you want to find more reviews, then the place you want to go is MajorSpoilers.com. And if you're looking for some, uh, some spring wear, some summer wear as the season moves on, then you can head over to isotoner.com or totes.com and uh find something that you like and then when you're ready to check out use the checkout code MAJOR M A J O R and get 25% off your purchase that's at isotoner.com or totes.com also if you'd like to contribute to the major spoilers uh podcast drop us an email or drop us a, a phone call at 785-727-1939 all right let us get into our trade paperback this week i am almost positive that this was a recommendation from our Discord server, because this is not something I think I would have picked up, but uh, we are looking this week at the Dead End Kids. Not to be confused with the Dead End Kids of Matthew and I's Youth, which was actually a series of uh, short films from our parents' youth, quite possibly, maybe even before. <laughs> my
2: grandparents' youth, From your youth, grandparents'
0: perhaps. youth, the, the dead, those Dead End Kids. Um yeah,
2: that was that was the thirties, dude. That was well, well before anyone's time. Yeah. Oh, a legacy comic.
0: <laughs> you would think, yeah. Rodrigo. You would think, but uh what what is this comic about? Please. Please somebody enlighten me.
3: Uh well, uh <laughs> it is a comic about four friends mm-hmm. who are they're teenagers, they're living in uh I, I'm pretty sure they're living in the United States. Um, And they live in a small, snowy town. Um, But uh, unlike other friends who live in small, snowy towns, they don't sing about Brian Boitano or anything like that. Mm. Um, But they do hate it there. And (laughs) they have kind of come together to, to hang out together because, really, they all have pretty sad lives. In a, in a very sort of sad, mundane, real-life sort of way. Uh, one of them, uh, his parents died. One of them has a uh, like congenital heart condition and makes things difficult for him, and so on and so forth. Like Everybody's got something going on that makes their life kind of crappy. Oh, and then somebody gets murdered. Mm-hmm.
2: and
0: they have to solve a murder. And in the process, more people die. And then in the end, only two of them remain. Dun, dun, dun.
2: I think it's less of a solve a murder and more of an avenge their dead friend kind of thing, because they they don't really do a lot of solving. They go in assuming they know who did it and then maybe kind of kill him too. It,
1: yeah, this series really trucks. Uh, mm-hmm. I think... I think when you read it you can tell that this is a pitch for a screenplay uh, or possibly a television show you can tell that these kids are based on somebody that the creator probably his group of friends growing up I'm assuming uh his their gender because it's a masculine name um a- and we don't sit in a lot of the moments like I thought initially when we got to the interrogation I was like oh this is what the next three, two, two issues. It was a three-issue series. I, th- I thought, oh, so we we kind of rushed to get to this point because it's all going to be about how they unpack this. Mm-hmm. But we, like, we jump to Oof. the point where, like, someone fully gets shot, and we hand-wave it away in between um, issues. And this story is, it's interesting, and it's compelling, and and I really like the fact that they bothered to give everybody a real-world problem. These aren't just... Whiny white kids from the suburb, which is what it would be in a different incarnation. I just wish we could have like dwelt in that a little more, even though it is like a real bummer. <laughs> like no, the book I, is yeah. very sad. This is um this
0: There's... is a messed up book, in my opinion.
2: This is this is depressing from top to bottom. But it's depressing in a couple of really interesting ways. First of all, it's depressing in that. Um, I'm not speaking for everyone, but I think everybody had a depressing kind of horrifying story that they were mulling over in their head as a possible writer at some point in their life. And I think there's something universal about the way this unfolds. And they make specific cultural references that I think are important because there's a a line where he's talking about Stephen King and how a bunch of messed up kids come together and fix each other. Mm And there's another reference along those lines and specifically saying, we didn't do that. And I kind of like that that thoughtfulness, that expectation and the knowledge of what turf you're on. You're dealing with something that you absolutely know people might have seen before. You're in a familiar territory, but this, it, it explicitly says, this isn't that story. And so I, I kind of appreciate that. I really appreciate the whole Sunset Boulevard opening. Because that is literally the opening of Sunset
1: Boulevard. Totally. I mean, to the like, point where we discover him floating face down yeah. looking at quote unquote camera.
2: Yeah, the, the, the perspective of the, you know, the reader goes down the street, down to the pond, into the pond. And there, you know, he's floating there. And I'm like, that's the opening of Sunset Boulevard. I remember that from Zach on film. You know, because I have no culture other than Zach on film, but I feel like a lot of the of the the references and a lot of the cultural references are here and are very helpful. But I can't remember the last time I read a story that started by quoting The Offspring.
3: Uh, well, that that's uh, this story explicitly takes place in nineteen ninety nine. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you know, you don't wanna like. You know, they say write what you know. I'm like wondering right. if I'm like, uh, is is, uh, is Frank, is Frank, Frank? Gogol, uh, yeah, is Frank 36 years old? <laughs> because because he might be, because th- like this is pretty much like this is when I was growing up, obviously, mm-hmm. not not exactly like this because everybody that got murdered around me they never pinned it on anybody um, but um what yeah you're it's like is
2: you got away with it
3: what i'm saying is well it uh, wasn't that he was you one of the
1: meddling kids
3: <laughs> you can't try someone for the same thing twice is what i'm saying um, <laughs> but yeah there's uh you know there's like a, a pixies uh, poster on the wall um, and I think if you are in your uh thirties um possibly late thirties, early forties, uh you will see this and you're going to get a lot more out of it, but a lot of the time I don't feel like it's particularly relevant um it's like you can swap out a um uh, a Pixies reference for a Death Cab reference, and slide the story up or down however you want, or change it to I don't know, Chicago.
2: Back it up and have it be uh, you know a Skid Row reference.
3: Yeah, exactly. You can uh, the the references don't necessarily add anything to it. Uh, they don't add context so much as uh, they just like flesh out the world. Right. It's right. like if you knew what was going on back in these days. Then you might infer some things, but there's really nothing going on that makes this the '90s, right? Uh, other than I guess nobody says, "Oh no, somebody is in a pond and whips out a cell phone and calls." Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> but, mean, that's that's a thing, right? For Y2K. You yeah. don't. Uh, that's true. That's true. Some people are preparing for Y2K. That is something that was happening. So, um, but again, doesn't have a lot of. Pay- I was, I was, I was expecting that to have some bearing in the story i was expecting for somebody to be like boy it's a good thing that you know my mom has like four pallets of of canned fruit Mm -hmm. for us to use because she's preparing for the the y2k apocalypse but it doesn't right
0: yeah no there's uh, as i actually said earlier there are some really jumps in incidents that if these guys were really friends, I think maybe we'd spend a little bit more time on, hey, our friend was just shot. Uh, it's two weeks later. Let's go uh, jump ahead and hand wave all this uh, trauma right here and get down to business of uh, accusing the wrong person of of killing our friend.
2: I would have liked to see this with another issue, uh, maybe even as a sixer, although a sixer might have stretched it too far. But I think a four-issue arc rather than a three-issue arc might have given it A little more room to breathe because it's effective in what it does, but it's also very, very gut-punchy, depressing. Kind of, my God, what did I just read? I need a drink at the end, kind of thing. Because it is very much a lot of trauma in a very short time.
0: Yeah, I'm curious. uh, From those of you who enjoyed this uh, book, was the reveal of the motive for the murder? Did it make sense? Was it? Was it? Was it a, was it a
3: which, which murder?
0: Well, the yeah. the main murder that they're the main murder that they're that they're looking at. You know, right. it's no, like we don't oh, spend it's...
1: time. We don't spend enough time with that character.
0: Yeah, that's I think that's the yeah. problem, right? Is that we don't get to spend uh, enough time with any of the characters. Yeah, and the two characters that we do get to spend any time with, Art is fine, but. Those two characters are interchangeable and they look so much alike. It's easy yeah. to get them confused in same way with their parents. It's easy to get them confused. The only two that stand out in this issue or three is Tank, the girl and the bad guy with the baseball cap uh, on backwards.
3: And that's mm-hmm. cuz he has a baseball cap on. And that's on because backwards. he has a baseball right. cap on. Yes. Like well, a
1: child. They uh, I think I like this because I like the ideas of it, but to me it just sort of reads like this uh, person wrote out their pitch document and then that's what became the story. And when you write your pitch or you write your outline, uh, I mean, I write a very detailed outline, but just because it's in the outline doesn't necessarily mean that it has to make it on the page Mm -hmm. and you often have to flush out things in between. And and it feels like we're reading the bullet points. It feels like we're reading the newspaper report of events. And I think the reason that all of us are driving against that is because the material and the characters are interesting enough that, like Matthew said, maybe six issues would have been too many issues. And we've all read series like that as well. But we all wanted a little bit more out of this. Yeah, I think ultimately what we got.
3: Yeah, Yeah, there's another issue with that. And that is that this piece explicitly is calling on certain tropes. Right. Yeah. like. We're, we're not the losers. We're not these guys. Back in those days, we were all doing this, and it sure wasn't that. And it's like that calls for a story that... It, it calls for a story that's going to move slowly mm-hmm. for a coming-of-age story. And it's like if you contrast the way that this story starts... With some of the choices that get made, like for example, a character is shot at the end of one issue, and mm-hmm. by the next issue, they're already over it. Like, right. so it literally says, "Oh yeah, I'm fine." By the way, yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's just, and and it would be fine if the story wasn't calling upon these like well-worn coming-of-age bunch of losers no like uh, a dead-end town Mm -hmm. you know kind of stories which do tend to be kind of a slow burn so you can see the boredom so you can see the like the chafing against you know parents that maybe mean well but don't know how to connect with their kids like all of those things need time and this story doesn't give it to them it's just Mm -hmm. it, it kind of i think it tries to cheat by by explicitly calling attention to those things, to your standby me's, to your, um, which I think in the other show, I accidentally called lean on me, but that's a good movie too. <laughs> um,
2: I feel like the, the biggest problem for me was how much of this has to be sort of gleaned from reading between the lines. Cause mm-hmm. one of the most important parts of the story does not become clear to me until we see Benji's headstone at the yes. end, and we realize that Ben's mother died in childbirth yeah that there's a yeah, there's have, a
1: flashback we have two in that dovetailing stories yeah. about right. people's parents
2: right. And their
1: mothers and their births specifically. Right.
2: So we, I mean, they don't ever explicitly say this is what happened. And I'm like, okay, well, his mother is dead. The father blames him. I'm thinking, okay, probably died in childbirth. It becomes clear in that last. And then you realize that's why, you know, spoilers, the dad killed his own son. But it also comes around to a point where without that knowledge beforehand, I I agree with Stephen to a point where you look at that motivation and you're like, is it though? Does here's, it
0: work? Here's the problem with that. They do, there is a flashback moment where they're showing him being born and the dad standing there looking in the window and then the doctor comes up and you see them talking and then they walk away. It's all without words, right? The problem right. is, and that is, that is supposed to be, oh, here is where the guy, you know, lost his wife in the childbirth. The problem is they couple that, the, I think it's the very next page or, or close to it is, hey, your kid has a heart problem. Right. And uh, so Thanks. now we have Thanks. to take Thanks. care of this. And so the problem is those two parts are so close together. And because they're not really making clear who are the parents, uh, it almost makes it feel like, oh, this is the same kid. And this is why the doctor is pulling them aside. Right. So there are a lot of points in this in this uh, trade that need to be made more clear. And that could probably be made with a little bit of art uh, changes, yeah. with a little bit of dialogue changes, and... Probably with a little bit more editorial um, control or tweaking uh, to this piece. Now,
1: there, this there's is... a good chance, though, that with an independent publisher, because sure. like we don't have, we don't get any editorial notes on on Jupiter Jet. Um, yeah. You know, there's a good chance that it, whoever's being credited as the editor is actually doing a job more like a production artist, right. because right. that's the way that small publishers work. Is you you get work that's largely finished and. They're just sort of more of a printing house than anything else.
0: Yeah. Now, there have been times in the past where Matthew and I have been reading some uh, collected series, and we have said, this makes no sense. Uh, This feels like it should be a five- or six-issue miniseries when, in fact, it's been cut short. And every time we've mentioned that on a show, a creator reaches out to me and says, yes, the plan was to be this long, but because of this, we had to cut it back, or because of editorial mandate, we had to cut it back. Um, Right. And so, again, this feels like somebody somewhere just said— we need to remove an issue or two and tighten this this story up. I so, can see that. I don't, I don't know. I, I just I, this. There's too much jumping around. There's too much stuff that doesn't coalesce or make sense. Yes, do, do people want a uh, depressing story of of, of teenage life? Uh, this story definitely has it. Could it be made better? I think it certainly could.
2: Well, and I think there is an intentional uh, decision made. To keep some of these things uh, oblique, for lack of a better word, Um, to where we don't explicitly—it's a show don't tell situation. We don't explicitly say Tank has a terrible heart problem at the beginning. They kind of dole that out a little bit at a time. They talk about Tank, and in his first you know appearance, they're like, "Make sure you take your medicine," and then they're like, "No, wait, don't get all riled up." So all of it is kind of—it's trying to do a slow build for. Four main characters plus three additional ancillary secondary characters and then the parents who are in play. And there's a lot that kind of gets glossed over because the story is trying to do a, a very realistic thing where you are in this world and all of a sudden you're just here. And in the real world, nobody says, as you know, Stephen, when we went to college 40 years ago together at the same time, um, you know, that doesn't happen in real life. You learn things about the people that Wait, you meet what? a little bit at a time. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and you don't we don't ever say, Ashley, you and I, of course, have been married now for a year and a half, and we don't talk mm-hmm. about it on the show because it's embarrassing. Uh, and also you're Rodrigo's ex wife, but you know, it's all it's one of those things where in real life you learn these things. Sort of, you know, organically out of interactions and in, in bits and pieces. And there's an attempt to do that here, that is successful on some level, but not entirely so for some important bits of the plot. And I feel like that—that that is a, a definite artistic decision that I respect, but it's one that works against the
3: story.
0: Yeah. So, what's what's final thoughts, uh, Rodrigo? What are your final thoughts on this trade?
3: Um, I mean, there's a there's like a good story here in here somewhere and it, it might just be tanks. I think tank gets like an actual sort of arc to this, but I don't know. Uh, I, I think there are moments when the story falls flat and there are moments when the art kind of lets you down, like it's supposed to convey something to you, but it doesn't. Um. So uh, this is, this is kind of a pass for me. It just uh, on top of, on top of the fact that, Ah, uh, where a bunch of sad kids trying to get out of a dead end town is not actually a story that usually calls to me, anyway. Um, uh, th- this is kind of not not really my not really my cup of tea.
0: I'm going to echo what Rodrigo said and say uh, I think this has the bones of something. I think it needs to be expanded a little bit more or tweaked a little bit more. Uh, but I'm also going to give this a pass, Ashley.
1: I'm going to say that. Um... I think this publisher is doing a lot of really interesting and exciting things. Mm -hmm. And I think it's hard because I guess like everyone is saying, I think there's good things here. So I think if you can get your hands on this, and you are also interested in the craft of creating comics, I think there's a lot to be gleaned from this. Uh, So I would say if you're interested in making comics, this would be like a borrow from the library, but it's a small publisher, so they could really use your dollars. So if you're (laughs) in any way interested in it, please consider actually purchasing it. I am trying to have it both ways, and I can't.
0: (laughs) You did not mention that the publisher is SourcePoint Press. It's a very small publisher. Uh, yeah, they, they
1: sold something uh, recently, um, so they're kind of they're kind of like making little waves for themselves. Yeah,
0: they're they're definitely making some waves, and I think this actually has won some awards. This this uh, book may have actually won some more awards. So.
1: This book is gonna be a great indie movie. Yeah,
0: yeah <laughs> when yeah, they yeah.
1: shoot it in Minnesota or wherever.
0: Yeah, we're Canada.
1: Yeah, for yeah for that matter.
0: All right, uh, Matthew. Final thoughts from you, please.
2: I, at well, as an aficionado, both of down to earth you know, people running around and bumping into each other, no superpowers, nothing weird going on, comic stories, and also emo teens of every stripe, genre, and age. I like this, and I I think I may have liked it the most of anyone on the panel, but even so, I feel like there are definitely some things here that say to me, early work of someone who definitely has potential, a story that feels like it needed either more room Or more focus and honestly the fact that two of our four main characters are visually almost indistinguishable really you know kind of sets us off on a bad point so it's a it's an okay book I like the book I would recommend the book definitely if you're into you know the weird emo stuff of you know John Hughes and Stephen Mm. King and the people that they intentionally reference here but I also feel like even if you like it as much as I do, you're going to have notes at the end and you're going to have moments where you say this could have gone better.
0: Yeah. All right. Thank you, Matthew, for being on the show this week. Same to you, Ashley and Rodrigo. It's always a pleasure. And listeners, thank you for being part of the Major Spoilers experience this week.
2: As always, we want to hear your feedback, so make sure you use the comment section at Major Spoilers to share your thoughts and reactions to this episode.
1: Or even better, you can email us at podcast at
3: and don't forget, you can support this show and everything we do by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash spoilers.
0: You know, it's about this time of year when we would all be heading out to the movie theater to watch Wonder Woman. And those people who were planning things far in advance in the far off time <laughs> of 2019 <laughs> would have said, mm-hmm. hey, let's review a Wonder Woman comic to coincide with the release of the Wonder Woman 1984 movie. And so that's what we're going to do next week. Wonder Woman uh, from Greg Rucka. It's going to be next week on the Major Spoilers podcast. Why? Because we know that you love comics and we do too. And we'll talk with you soon.
2: Stop talking about comic books or I'll kill you.
0: Podcast is copyright 2020 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.